You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 71 of the Comic Book Informer. We finally have our act together and are actually recording on a Wednesday. And not only that, but Roger's back. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, you're actually going to be fairly proud of me. For a while, at least. Uh Uh-oh. I watched Thor. Oh. But it sucked. (laughs) I mean, if you say so, it really sucked. (laughs) Like, I mean, not even just a little suck. It was a huge amount of sucking. It was absolutely terrible. Welcome to the minority opinion. Come on. I, you know what? Actually, I have not read reviews of this with the exception of yours. And yours was just the words of a fanboy. So I knew better than to actually pay attention. And uh, so I don't know if most people actually liked it. I, it was, it was terrible. It was absolute tripe cliched tripe it was just bad it was fun it was a good summer it wasn't even that i honestly didn't even like my expectations when it comes to comic book adaptations are pretty goddamn low all right we're talking low here you don't have to do a lot to impress me and this did not impress me even once and it's not my hatred of thor as a character it's just that Everything about it was just bad. And it was so cliched. Even by comic book adaptation standards, it was so cliche. It was unbelievable. And it was basically just a a a movie to show him without his shirt on so that girls could go, and, and some boys. And that was about it. And Natalie Portman making a fool of herself. It was just... One bad scene after another. I did All right, not well, like it. We're not going to get into this. <laughs> I just, well, like I said, at least I watched it. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to change the subject because this is not going to end well. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> well, let's talk about some actual <laughs> comics <laughs> that hopefully we'll at least, for the most part, agree on. <laughs> Uh, we're doing a little catch-up this week with some X-Men stuff, uh, primarily their main two. Uh, we're going to start off with Uncanny X-Men, focusing on issues five through eight, their uh, Tabula Rasa story. And we've touched on this a little bit over the What We're Reading segments, and you said you were enjoying it, right? Within reason. I mean, I was enjoying it. Uh, yeah, it's not like the greatest thing oh, ever. Oh, hell no. But at least it had kind of stepped up from the first couple of issues, which I really did not like a lot. Um, this was better. But it still had some pretty, you know, glaring faults throughout that I wasn't crazy about. And then there's the art, of course, which <laughs> we're not even getting into that. Oh, we're getting into it just later. <laughs> Let's just smile. That's, that's our tribute to it. We'll just smile all the time. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, these issues were written by Kieran Gillen with art by Greg Land. And what really you know, made it interesting to me right from the start is it's actually picking up where the Dark Angel saga left off with that town that got obliterated and then evolved. Was it like 50,000 years? I think it was. Yeah, I can't remember the exact number. Let's but go with 50,000. I did delete that, too. I thought it was cool, too, <laughs> that they didn't just leave that um, kind of on the shelf and then not go any further in terms of what the um, the repercussions were. I like that they followed through with it. 
And they even worked their way around. Uh, if anybody remembers from the previous story arc, Emma got her arm blown off. I love so that. So they, they needed a psychic character on the team. And, well, Psylocke is right there. So it fits in with the whole uncanny X-Force. She has that guilt of knowing that she could have killed Warren well before any of this happened. So she carries this tremendous amount of guilt for all the people in that town that died exactly because of her actions. Yeah. Yeah. She actually really, like we were enjoying her a lot in Uncanny X-Force. So I really liked the moments where we saw her in here too. They, they weren't that many of them, but the ones that were there were quite powerful and they didn't, they didn't punk out on the character. They actually showed her having feelings for what did occur. Well, they wrote about her having feelings and didn't quite show well, her having yeah. feelings. <laughs> you know what I mean. And, uh, also, when they when they split up the teams, they paired her up with Magneto, who, of course, knows the secret of X-Force. So it was a really interesting little dynamic between the two of them, especially when Bet you know Magneto was like, well, you traded the life of uh, 5,000 humans for one mutant. Not a good trade-off, but seeing as there's only 200 of us left, I approve. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As much as I hate, like I've made it clear to this concept that he's good now kind of thing, as much as I hate that, damn, he steals so many scenes that he's in. They're they're playing it well in a lot of circumstances. Yeah. Well, anyway, the actual story involves this tabula rasa, this blank slate that, you know, it was wiped from existence and evolved on its own to this bizarre, like, jungle, weird civilization. I'm not even going to get into the specifics of it, but it breaks down to they find the native uh, residents now and they find that they, you know, they're worshiping this god, the immortal man. And Mortal Man shows up and just whoops up on everyone. And they go into this whole really well-developed backstory of this, I don't want to say throwaway, but for, for something that was created just for these four issues and presumably something down the line, they put a lot of backstory into this and thought into developing these characters. They'd be fools not to continue using it, though. I mean, they, well, yeah. we, we can't assume that after all the work that went into this, that we're just not going to be seeing this place again. Something bad's going to happen there at some point, and they're <laughs> going to be called in. And uh, and no, I agree. I, I like it because it's a... Um, it's, well, it's an alternate reality, only secluded to this one little place kind of thing. I, I'm not crazy about some of the resolution later on, but I like that idea that, again, this is this is an alternate evolution of what we would have been had, you know, one slight turn been taken. Mm-hmm. And it also kind of develops upon a lot of the... Th- themes that X-Men has presented over the years, you know, evolution and how you handle you know, a change in your world, where we have the two previous uh, survivors of the, of the previous civilization, this really technically advanced civilization that used all the celestial energy from the life seed to really advance themselves scientifically, artistically, etc. And they died out while leaving behind these two survivors, one of which woke up, you know, hundreds, I heard, years previously and was able to deal with it. But another that before they, they went into their hibernation refused to accept it and, you know, tried to leave, ended up getting stuck in the, in the time bubble thingy and just woke up a couple days ago to his entire civilization being destroyed. And you get that that dynamic of these two extremes that's been presented for so many years in X-Men between, you know, for example, Magneto and Xavier. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I, I just really it was it was an interesting story bringing in new concepts. You know, the first story arc brought back an old concept of Mr. Sinister. So we're bringing in new stuff, which honestly, from the X-Men, we really honestly don't see that often outside of X-Force. <laughs> yeah. X-Men you know, love so much of their history that they just keep bringing back these characters over and over again. So I like that they brought up new characters, a new story and just ran with it. I also like the um the the new character the, the this nearly omnipotent kind of being here that's not but I mean can learn a language in a matter of minutes kind of thing and uh it's funny because very much had the same feeling as what we've been experiencing in a game recently with Mass I was Effect just thinking that. with the Prothean and it's that same kind of mentality and it's nice seeing it applied now to the X-Men, who some of the members, let's be honest, are pretty full of themselves. And so having this, you know, this being kind of bitch slapping them back into their place and say, you're not nearly as advanced as you seem to think you are, buddy. It's 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 very interesting. I love that. Yeah, because I had read most of this before I'd played Mass Effect. So going back through it again, I was like, it's Javik. Yes, basically, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I thought. And even the villainous character of the immortal man, you know, when he fires his missiles and Magneto's like, oh, I got this and it doesn't work. And he spouts out the line, what, you know, super geniuses and your, and your civilization don't adapt themselves yeah, yeah. to your attacks. <laughs> because, of course, how many times have we seen the same attacks being repelled by the same defenses? So just some nice changes they're doing with the dynamics. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And also one thing that really got me into this setting and this world, the way that it's set up is... While, what, like a week or two had passed in our world, 50,000 years had passed inside this bubble. So they were very – had a very different passage of time. The sun didn't move. You know, the waters weren't flowing. So now that the time bubble is gone, the effects of the real world are really starting to change this little area. You know, the the, the river moving again means that the aquatic species, they're, they're – uh, eggs are in danger. You know, the sun coming out is this huge problem for them. I, I like we were talking about with the the thought that they put into the backstory. They put that same amount of thought into just the actual setting. Yeah, again, it's it's one of those things where they've developed a very interesting little little cocoon where they don't have to go into outer space to experience some weird, crazy thing kind of thing. They can have it right there again. And it can be a, a zone, a place where in they go back routinely for different things. And I, I kind of really hope that they do for whatever reason. I don't know why they'd be drawn back there, but it'd be a lot of fun if they were. Well, the immortal man wasn't defeated. He just kind of went away. Yeah. And as they said, you know, it might be you know, a month, might be a year. He will have his revenge. So, I mean, obviously it's going to come back soon. It, I hope it's in a story just as interesting as this one. Yep. We also had some cool character dynamics in this. Uh, first of all, uh, Colossus with his ongoing struggle with the uh, juggernaut presence inside of him. We see him just completely lose it here when he thinks Ileana's in danger and just not only goes in full juggernaut mode, but goes even farther beyond that to a point where any other host for you know, the spirit of Sidorak hasn't progressed as far because you know, Kane Marco, he was just a normal guy beforehand. A couple other people, they, they weren't as powerful as Colossus before they gained the Juggernaut power. So now we're seeing that progressing even farther. And as a fan, Colossus has always been one of my favorite characters. I find this very interesting to see, you know, just, just what they're going to do with this particular plot point. Dude, when he, that one panel, where oh. he's got the freaking <laughs> things growing out of him, these horns all over. It, <laughs> 
that's a screensaver right there. That's <laughs> I I love that whole thing. And of course, what we're seeing with his sister too in that, as well as number nine, as well as what's going on there with her. And we're finding out more about how they're holding her and everything. That relationship between he and her has always been one that's been powerful in that in X-Men kind of thing in that IP. So it, it was it was good to see how they work together in in this little story arc and where it's going from there. Yeah, because Colossus has always been this character that's possessed such immense power, but worked very hard to control himself, almost to the level of becoming a pacifist, taking up all these artistic endeavors to to be more spiritual and to control that powerful side of himself. And now he's essentially possessed by a being that is nothing but pure rage and power. Really liking that. Definitely. And then we also had some fun scenes with Namor and Hope. <laughs> and I know I know you hate Namor. I hate him too, but God, they 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 just had so many like fun little scenes together. <laughs> I I couldn't help but at least enjoying it. There uh, and it's true. No, there were some good scenes with him. It's I don't think anybody likes him. You can't. How can you possibly like him as a character? He's a horrible human being. And but there were some some scenes. Some of them were kind of a little rolling your eyes the whole thing with making out with the serpent squid chick thing yeah all right but it but was the way he portrayed it was entertaining oh yeah oh definitely but it's those moments those quiet moments with hope that were fun to read that were interesting that the whole redheads ick <laughs> <laughs> of course if you look at the panel where she's laughing when she's sitting with him in the meadow later on there's one in the middle where she's laughing i swear to god and going back to the art being terrible oh my she looks like a buck tooth hillbilly i it oh jesus <laughs> all right well we're actually going to roll into the art here and <laughs> i have spoken at length about greg land and this just kind of epitomizes like reading through it once i was like i could tolerate it but reading through it again last night to pre- you know prepare for the episode with every page i hated it more and more <laughs> now to his credit this particular storyline contains far less of the cheesecake pinup stuff that greg land has become famous for over the years that said, it's established fact at this point that he recycles his artwork. I have seen these faces dozens of times over the last decade. Like, I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that's Sue, that's Sue Storm, ultimate, ultimate Sue Storm. Like, oh, there's, you know, there's, that's his Jean Grey. Like, I recognize these faces now. And because of that tendency to recycle his artwork for whatever reason, I'm not getting into that. He has only a certain number of set expressions he uses for each character, and he just uses them out of tune with what's going on in the story. Like You'll have a character who, in the plot, they're angry or upset, and then when you look at them, they have this weird smile. Or was it one where uh, Ileana was evacuating the villagers and talking about how they're safe now and they won't come back. It's, you know, a, a fairly serious scene. And yet the artwork has her doing this like little sexy, you know, finger by the mouth thing. And I'm just... bad art is one thing. It, bad art can at least work in certain senses, but art that absolutely does not fit the story is even worse. I'm not going to say much more than that. You pretty much encapsulated everything I felt. I, I really, I, <laughs> As much as I got a hatred for, for Scott as well, <laughs> when you're looking at this and nearly every picture of him, he's got this goofy grin on his face. 
And it's like, Jesus, I, I, I know I was complaining about him brooding all the time, but this doesn't fix it. <laughs> but he's a happy brooder now. Oh, yeah. He's very happy. <laughs> all right. Anyway, art aside, it's at least an interesting story. It could have been better if you know, the art, the, the tone of the art had matched the tone of the story. Yep. So moving on to the other primary X title, we have Wolverine and the X-Men. Wolverine uh, written, <laughs> written by Jason Aaron, art by Nick Bradshaw. And this, just like I said, it may not be the best comic Marvel's putting out right now, but I'll be damned if it's not the most fun. Well, at times, at times, there's some of the story arcs I haven't been quite as crazy about. Um, some of the little things here and there are kind of starting to grate on my nerves a little bit overall i'm enjoying it quite a bit but there's still enough here and there that it's like okay i'm getting really tired of this i'm getting really tired of this i'm hoping that there's going to be some big sweeping changes coming around but you want to talk about a freaking insane storyline <laughs> we're going to step pause on the primary story of these issues for a second and focus on the fact that the subplot in these issues involved wolverine and quentin going into space to planet sin to w gamble at a casino to fund the school <laughs> that was the subplot yeah really <laughs> and that that was just absolutely hilarious the whole way through i'm really starting to enjoy those two characters together see the, the kids getting on my nerves and some of the kids aren't but that kid is and see this is where it's getting a, to into a little bit of dangerous territory because he's got some very powerful characters that he can work with established characters like beast and kitty and things like that and he, yes he's got some interesting younger characters and yes it is a school so you're going to have some younger characters but i don't want it falling into the trap of uh new mutants and into all of these kid stories where you're having to roll your eyes at kids all the times and things that they're doing it's like ah so basically the x-men are going to be the adult team and this is going to be the kid team i don't want that so like some of the things that are happening again with the kids it, it is making me roll my eyes and the stuff with quentin really is making me lose my patience with it you see, it's interesting you say that because at the end, as they're leaving the casino, Wolverine throws out that line of when we're done, remind me to call Charles and apologize because now I know how he felt dealing with yeah. me <laughs> because yeah, back in the early 80s, Wolverine's character was perceived in the same way you're perceiving Kid Omega now. Even the fans didn't like him. So it, it's it's a nice little double thing they're working with there. So that said, I'm, though, I'm hoping we eventually reach the point where Quentin stops being annoying and, you know, lives up to his potential as a character. Yeah. And then you look at some of the new characters and they are absolutely fantastic. I mean, the little brood character is freaking oh. awesome. I love him. And and then you've got the the little kid apocalypse, too, who, mm -hmm. yes, there's some brooding there, but ju justifiably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be a very interesting character to watch throughout this as well. So there's a lot of little things there. And, and if you didn't have enough of Nightcrawler before, well, there you go. They, they've taken care of that now. <laughs> Well, and that all rolls into the main storyline running through this, where uh, we're actually covering issues four through seven here. At, at the end of issue four, Kitty is suddenly pregnant. 
And I don't just mean, oh, I'm positive, you know, the test, you know, there's a blue line. No, she is very pregnant almost instantly. And of course, everybody's like, oh, it's Colossus and this and that. And they ran through some interesting stuff, you know, of how she's accepting it. But I mean, I called it right off the bat. I'm like, oh, she's got a stomach full of brood. I've read enough comics that yeah, I can really. make that call. <laughs> and yes, she has thousands of tiny little brood infesting her as part of this alien attack. So you have this fun little fantastic voyage going on where the various X-Men shrink down and you know they go inside her to fight the brood. But beyond that, you have this other big villain that comes in, Professor, Professor Xanto Starblood. I love this guy. I, I, I certainly hope that uh, Agent Brand doesn't lock him up for the future because I want to see more of him because he has come to Earth not to fight the X-Men, but he's come after poor little Brew because Brew represents what's te- technically an anomaly amongst the Brood, a Brood that has compassion instead of just being a killing machine. And he sees this as this great atrocity to the balance of the universe. The brood are supposed to be killers. They're not supposed to be compassionate. So he's basically come to eliminate this threat to galactic balance. And I loved the little scene where, you know, he's, you have this big hulking menace and he's like, sure, we'll sit down and talk about this. It's, it's a fun little play on what you would expect. I I really liked it too, because again, you've got the, the little character that is, um, more so than any other character there, I'm seeing so much potential in that little guy. And they're doing, he's doing, uh, Aaron's doing a really good job of writing him. So when I'm looking at the potential for him as he grows up and what he'll mean to the team, it's way different than just any other kind of mutant here. It's an, another race from another planet kind of thing. And not just that, but also now we see more so than any other time we've seen this little character now we we see what's behind what he can revert to if he doesn't keep himself in check kind of thing and that adds an edge a real edge to him Mm -hmm. and i love that and just like we were talking about an uncanny x-men how that played on some of the you know generational ideals of the X-Men brew kind of represents that here too that concept of nature versus nurture I mean is he this you know terrible killing machine just because he was born that way just like the mutants or can he be a better person again you have that long-standing subplot behind the X-Men that's represented here in the modern era yep yeah Yeah. no I (laughs) and then just just to round out the story the Banffs yeah, <laughs> are are rapidly becoming the best characters in this comic. <laughs> like, even back in issue five or four, where they're talking about how they, they have some injuries in the infirmary because the Bamps found Logan's martial arts movie collection. <laughs> and let's just hope they don't find his other video <laughs> collection. <laughs> but then it, even as they're helping Kitty fight Xanto, Xanto throws out that weird little line of, you think these are Bamps? I've studied Banffs. These aren't interdimensional gremlins. And of course, they cut them off before he can finish. So I am fascinated to know what the mystery behind the Banffs are now. Because it's gone from this fun little like goofiness to the comic to something I... Because they're f- tiny nightcrawlers. I have to know what's up. Well, yeah. And it's it's basically... It's it's setting up a story down the line now that's that with any hope, is not just going to be, oh, it's just this kind of thing. No, 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 no. Let's really build on this. Let's give this such a backstory that it sends these guys on a mini story arc that lasts five or six issues kind of thing. You have the potential to have a lot of fun with this. Mm -hmm. And that's about all I have to say. Anything to add to uh, our discussions here? Uh, 
I wish he would have stuck stuck with the original artist. That's it. This is actually something I'm going to get back to. Uh, actually, next week I have something to say about this. At the very least, I think Bradshaw is, if not stylistically the same as Bacallo, they have a lot of the same uh, concepts as far as like you know body proportions and stuff. So yeah, the art doesn't match, but it at least on the surface has the same feeling a lot better than many other tag team arts uh, art groups we've seen. Yeah. And it's not that it's bad per se. No, it's, no, it's no, so no. Great. It, it's, it's, but it's hollow. was amazing. Yeah. Some of this is like really quite good. Granted, I'm really not a fan of his faces at all, at all, at all, at all. Um, again, not that they're bad. It's a subjective thing. I'm not overall. The art is freaking amazing. There's a ton of detail everywhere. The coloring is insanely cool. Especially, I read these on my my new iPad. Oh my god, does it ever look good? The colors just shoot <laughs> off the screen. So no, it's not that it's bad. It's just I really, really loved the art from the originals, the yeah. first ones. So and they're doing what they're what pretty much every comic is doing is just trading off artists so they can get it out yeah. on a regular yeah. schedule. It it's kind of what it is these days. And like I said we'll come back to that at a later date. The only other thing I'd say about this little story arc with uh, Wolverine as peeps there, read it in order. I kind of read it out of order. I'd missed <laughs> one issue and I was lost. I was like, what the yeah, hell the is... Plot moves pretty wow. Quick. Yeah, so don't read them out of order. Read them in order and you'll be fine. All right. Well, moving into what we're reading, I actually have developed a theme for this episode because the first comic I want to talk about is the Wolverine and the X-Men spinoff miniseries called Alpha and Omega. And at first I had no interest in this because it came out. It started up a couple months ago. I was like, okay, they just launched Wolverine and the X-Men and they already have a spinoff miniseries. I don't care. Based on recommendations, I did end up checking out the uh, first three issues. I think issue four comes out next week soon, whatever. It's fun. If okay, if you like Quentin Quire, <laughs> you will like this story because the majority of the story is Quentin has developed this insanely complex and realistic virtual world in his mind. He's such a powerful telepath. He really wants to show everybody how powerful he is. So he sets up what's what's essentially a video game in his mind is the way he describes it with weather effects passage of time artificial intelligence for all the you know npcs if you will and to test it out he decides to trap a couple members of the school in there and of course he picks wolverine and armor so half the comic is quentin just trying to keep it together while he's interacting with the various students and staff members and that's entertaining but what absolutely sells this for me and as we've discussed several times before i'm an absolute sucker for alternate realities is this virtual world where you have wolverine and armor a pairing that i've loved since astonishing x-men and unfortunately we haven't gotten to see much of the two of them since then fantastic the art in the virtual sequences is ridiculously awesome the those virtual segments absolutely sell this comic for me and the, the real world segments are still fun entertaining because Wolverine has such a fractured psyche that while his consciousness is trapped in this world the berserker has basically taken control of his body and is hunting down choir across the school ground so <laughs> there's some entertainment here to go along with some really cool stuff and beyond that this is uh, written by Brian Wood who has just come to Marvel uh, after a couple years of exclusivity with uh, DC 
And later this summer, he's going to be taking over writing duties on both Ultimate X-Men and Adjectiveless X-Men. So for people who want to get kind of a feel for his writing, this is a nice introduction to that. Cool. Actually, I haven't checked that out yet. I'll have to, I'll have to pick it up. Yeah, but again, half of the comic does focus on Quentin Quire, so <laughs> there is that. Uh, also, I've still been reading wo- the actual Wolverine series with the whole Back to Japan thing they got going on. Uh, issues 301 and 302. I spoke about 300 previously. It, again, it's not the, the greatest thing. Uh, Aaron's handling of Wolverine's character itself over the issues has had some high points and had some low points. This one, it just seems that he wants to write a big, fun going away party because this is his last uh, storyline on the title and i could pretty much sum up what happens here in one sentence and this is an actual quote by Sabretooth, as he's you know facing off against these guys that are coming at him he's like huh a bunch of half-naked yakuza with chainsaws riding crotch rockets now i know why logan loves this country so much <laughs> it's absolutely insane over the top to the 10th degree bloody, violent, brutal insanity. And if that's something that appeals to you, check out those issues. Hmm. <laughs> Again, not, not not great character development, but a fun comic to read at the very least. Okay. I, actually, I need to get caught up on those. You can skip most of the stuff before 300 if you're not caught up, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> uh, you got anything for us this week? Um, well, let's start with the bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've been getting caught up on some DC stuff. So act- I'm trying to forget about most of the DC Man. stuff I'm reading. Action Comics number seven. Wow. Wow. Absolutely terrible. But then I read Green Arrow number seven. And like I was telling you, <laughs> it's like the execs that are working on the editors and the writers for, for Green Arrow are thinking, okay, we need to appeal to the youngest, dumbest male demographic there is. So what can we do to do that? I know. Let's put him in a foursome with triplets. It, it's... <sighs> <laughs> but it's Ollie. It is <laughs> Ollie can so do that. <laughs> bad, it's unbelievable. Like, I mean so bad let alone the freaking concepts it's just it's absolutely terrible the issue was tripe beginning to end and the art freaking sucked i really oh, i had no Why use did you for even it bother because like i told you i was running out of stuff on my ipad <laughs> I was sitting in bed and I that's why I read action comics first. And then I read that. And it's like, oh man, why do I do this to myself? Because yes, both were terrible. And then I read um Justice League number seven as well. So I had caught I'd, I'd gotten caught up with the whole story arc before that, and you talked about that as well. And we see how easy it is for them to take out the most powerful of villains. So here is the flip side of that where they show how absolutely simple it is for them to just take out your common run-of-the-mill villain so it's all it is is an issue to show oh look at how great we are and how powerful we are i love that batman <laughs> did you read this yet actually i haven't okay <laughs> i don't want to spoil too no, no, much don't go ahead. But it's I, just it's not like i'm on the edge of my seat waiting to read the issue <laughs> it's just so cool because you gotta get batman what does batman do he wants to strategize he wants to be the one that to, and, and it's not that he wants to it's just who he is 
Mm-hmm. So it's, you go do this, you go do this. And of course, we're getting the same thing that we got in Justice League years, decades ago, where um, <laughs> where Green Lantern and Batman don't get along. <laughs> and so Lantern wants to go off and just do whatever he wants and is not listening. And you can see Batman just getting so frustrated and it's like, oh, we're the Justice League. We can do whatever we want and just charge in, which is what they do. And of course they do pull it off, but those little moments were, were fun. Overall though, that's, that's all the issue is. And then the, the flip side where you have the people on earth who just want, you know, Justice League to take care of everything, all of the Earth's <laughs> problems. So that was a little lame. But, I mean, overall, it certainly is not a strong issue. Not at all. Um, but it was that flip side of of this guy was... Well, not even the flip side. They're, it, it, they're making it appear as if they can take anybody down so utterly easily. Mm-hmm. And Jeff John's really going to have to work on that for future issues. Otherwise, it's going to be like, really, there's there's nothing that's going to come At, around that's not going to be a challenge. After they've taken down Darkseid with minimal effort, what's left to present a challenge? Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, there's there's got to be something that's going to pose a very serious challenge. And it can't just be interpersonal relationship problems. It can't be that, oh, they didn't beat this guy as effectively just because they were arguing. No, it has to be that there are some fundamental problems um, that we're in. Some villains will be harder for them to take down for whatever reason. And unfortunately, we just haven't seen that yet. Mm -hmm. So we'll stick with that for now. Okay, that's that's it then? Yep. Okay. So moving into today's new releases from Marvel, we have Astonishing X-Men number 48, which is the first issue by new new writer uh, Marjorie Liu, who off the top of my head, I think she's the sixth writer in the last two years. I don't know. It's, it's Nobody wants to write that few. issue. <laughs> but credit to Marvel for not starting her off with a point one. Yeah. We also have Avengers 24.1, which is the prelude to Avengers versus X-Men. However, we also have Avengers versus X-Men number zero, which is the prelude to Avengers versus X-Men. God, guys. All right. Avenging Spider-Man number five, which, oh. uh, from what I'm hearing, is getting fantastic reviews. FF number 16. The final issue of Ghost Rider number nine. Good thing uh, fans are more interested in her after Circle of Four. New Avengers number 23, Secret Avengers number 24, Uncanny X-Force number 23, and X-Men Legacy number 264. We also have a couple collected editions I'm looking at this week. Powers Volume 5 Anarchy Hardcover Edition, as well as Secret Avengers Run the Mission, Don't Get Seen, Save the World Hardcover. First of all, I love that title, yeah. <laughs> but that, that those were the comics I've been talking about, uh, which were written by Warren Ellis, where it's a series of just one-shot issues of him proving that he's better than everybody else. <laughs> For DC, we've got Flash number seven, Green Lantern, New Guardians number seven, and Uncharted number five, along with a bunch of crap I'm not reading. <laughs> And to round out the list, from Dynamite, we've got Voltron number four, from IDW, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number eight, and Transformers Robot in Disguise number three, and then from Image, Morning Glories number 17, and Walking Dead number 95. So that's all we've got for you guys this week. Thank you for listening to Comic Book Informer. You can find us, of course, at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. For those listening on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate your feedback, and we'll see everybody next week. <laughs>